You know, it's uh, perhaps fitting that our, our space right now is in flux because our sanctuary sort of serves as an object lesson for Transfiguration Sunday as we are sort of transfiguring this, this space and, and the place that we worship. Um, and, and it's good uh, to be here uh, in this space today. Um, for me, this was uh, kind of a, a bit of a whirlwind week. Uh, after uh, Brad and I, we were in uh, New York City for a couple of days at a, at a conference there that was really centered on communication. Uh, it was aimed not just at, at pastors and church leaders, but aimed at, uh, at business leaders, aimed at writers and, and speakers of all kinds of how do we communicate the message that we carry effectively. And, and one of the things that was at the center of, it seemed like, all of the presentations was telling stories. How do we tell stories well? How do we communicate stories well? And I think that's particularly applicable for us as the church because really at the center of, of who we are as God's people and at the center of Scripture is primarily a story. It's a story of, of what God has done throughout history, what He is doing in the world today. And so this conference got me thinking about the way that Scripture goes about telling stories. How does it tell this story of salvation? Why does it tell certain stories within that story and, and maybe leave some others out? Why do we get certain details and, and not others? And that story that Mark records for us of the transfiguration is, is perhaps a perfect example of it. Why does Mark say certain things and, and not others? What, what details does he give us that, that maybe really point us to what he's trying to tell us about Jesus in this story. I just want to take a look at it very briefly. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. He writes, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now there's some interesting details that Mark includes here that I think are, are rather important for the way that he tells this story. The first one is that he's very careful to note that this came six days after the previous event. And this is rather uncommon for Mark to do. Usually, Mark almost paints this picture as if one event in Jesus' life is happening right after the next. Mark's gospel is paced in a very hurried manner. And he'll often say, immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus went here. Immediately all these crowds gathered around him. But here, Mark, he kind of slows down. He says, six days later, Jesus led his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain. Six days after Jesus had just told them that he was going to be crucified and on the third day rise again. Six days after Peter was so bold to rebuke his rabbi and say, certainly this can't be so. Six days after Jesus responded with a very harsh rebuke of Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. Six days after all of this, Jesus goes up the mountain 
and is transfigured, his clothes shining even more brilliantly white than the altar guild ladies can bleach my old. <laughs> and this should perhaps ask, cause us to ask ourselves, why six days? What other event in scripture took place in six days? Perhaps Mark is drawing our minds back to the very beginning of everything. When God, through his word, spoke all things into being in six days. And then he tells us that these two figures, Moses and Elijah, are there with him. Now these two men are very important Figures, Moses being that one through whom God gave his law and his will to the people of Israel. Elijah being one of the central figures of the era of the prophets. That time when, when God spoke to his people as they were ruled by the king, spoke to them through these messengers that he sent, calling them back to himself. See, these things that Mark includes here, they should really clue our minds into not just a couple of random snippets of Scripture, but really to the whole. What Mark is saying to us is from the very beginning of creation, all the way to Moses and the time of the law, through the time when God spoke to his people through the prophets, what has this all been leading us to? It's all been leading up to this one point, to the one who stands at the very center of the story. And it's Jesus. Jesus, this one who stands speaking with Moses and Elijah with his clothes shining brilliantly white, he is the one who stands at the center of all of history, all of scripture leads us to him. You know, if you were to think of your own life as a story, sort of being written as as a novel or or a movie from, from birth to the grave, who would be at the center of it? Who would play the, the main character? I suspect that for most of us, myself included, that we are the ones who stand at the center of our stories. That the events that we record are are those things that we want to celebrate for ourselves, right? Our first date, our first kiss, our first child, first grandchild, first job, first promotion. And, And the events of our lives tend to be built around ourselves, the choices we make, the things that we buy we find that we tend to stand at the center of our own stories. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but one thing that I find that living at the center of the story, living as the main character in your story, can be incredibly exhausting. It can be incredibly terrifying, because if we are living as the main character in our stories then it's really kind of up to us to write a happy ending, isn't it? It's up to us to be the hero. It's up to us to slay the dragon. 
It's up to us to, to get the girl. And that can be incredibly tiring. There's a great deal of pressure living as the main character, living at the center of our stories. You know, one place that I, that I think that we see this uh, perhaps very vividly is on social media. And at, through social media, we, we sort of see us editing down and, and cutting out the parts of our stories that we don't want to tell. Uh, in fact, that, that sort of led me in some ways to, to kind of take a step back here uh, in recent weeks and, and in some ways kind of either fast a little bit from social media. Because I noticed that in myself that as much as I, I love some of these tools and, and how they can be great ways to, to share our favorite events with family and friends who, who don't live nearby, that in some ways this had grown for me to be almost this alternative reality where I could present the version of my story that I wanted people to see and, and hide maybe the, the more real, the more authentic version of my story because the reality is, is despite what Instagram might show, I'm really not a, a hip Seattleite living the dream of a free pursuit of my interests. The reality is, is that more often than not, I'm an exhausted parent just trying to make it to bedtime. <laughs> the reality is, is, is that most of the time, I'm too tired to, to even clean up the living room, to wash the dishes, to, to make a dent in that growing mountain of laundry. <laughs> And on top of the, the exhaustion, on top of, of just being tired, weary parent, a lot of times I'm, I'm not the brave, confident hero figure that I might want to display. Most of the time, I'm pretty terrified. I'm terrified if I can be a good enough father, a, a loving enough husband, a faithful enough pastor, I'm terrified that, that if the ending of this all, if I have to write some sort of version of this that the world will remember before I die, that I'm not going to be able to do it. That, that the ending of it all is just going to be disappointment. That on the paths of, of success and failure, my life is leading toward the latter. Do you feel that way? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? Are you terrified that, that you can't do enough, that you can't write a successful enough ending? You know, I find it interesting that as Jesus is transfigured there on the mountain, that the response of the disciples is in fact just that. It's fear. It's terror. And, and like most of us, and, and it seems like this has been consistent throughout history, is that the way that we try to deal with being afraid is, is we try to hide in some sense. Back in the garden, it was hiding behind trees and leaves. For us, it's maybe hiding behind social media profiles for Peter, it was, it was hiding behind his boldness and, and trying to say something that sounded smart. Peter responds, saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. 
Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter thinks, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I should say something. Try to sound smart. Hey, Jesus, let's build some tents. Let's just stay on the mountain. We'll start a revival. Peter attempts to hide behind his speech. The fact that underneath it all, he's really terrified as to what he's seeing. But what I love here is that this time, the response that Peter gets, it's not a sharp rebuke. It's not the harsh words, get behind me, Satan. This time, it's simply the loving invitation of the Father. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Peter and the disciples, they simply receive this invitation. This, this man, the one who's causing you to be a little bit scared. He's my son. Listen to him. Follow him because he's the one who is really at the center of it all. And that's the same invitation that you and I receive. In the midst of our exhaustion, in the midst of our our fear, in the midst of the sin that so constantly overwhelms us, the invitation that we receive from the voice of the Father, this Jesus the one crucified, hanging on the cross for the sin of the world, listen to him. He's come to bear your sin. He's come to rescue you from your exhaustion and your fear. He has come to free you, just as we confess in the small catechism, free you from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And when your story is caught up, into his story when he is at the center rather than ourselves, it's no longer up to us to write some happy ending before we die. Because with Jesus at the center, we get the promise that we confess in the creed every single week. We get the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. May your story, may all of our stories be caught up into the story of this man who is also the very Son of God. And as we begin to lose our stories in His, may we find rest in the midst of our exhaustion. May we find hope in the midst of our fear and our despair. And may we have the assurance that it is not up to us to write a happy ending because he's already written one much more beautiful than we could ever write ourselves. May you find your life with Jesus at the center of it all. Amen? Amen.